Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Peace, everyone, and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby of The Line, D.C. This podcast is where dynamic people of color in the food and agricultural space share their personal food journeys, passions, and perspectives that stem from the land, all exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. Peace, everyone, and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby at the Line DC here on Full Service Radio. So for today's show, Black Food Justice, these are words that echo sovereignty, equity, decolonization, and our rights. We talk a great deal about food access in quote-unquote deserts, but the heart of the issue is a system of poverty systemic racism, and a huge wealth gap. In studio today, I am joined by Asha Carter, who is a social justice educator, community organizer, and environmental justice advocate. Um, Pardon me, who's been diligent and persistent in the fight for food justice. And as the new deputy director, I can talk today, guys, with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance based in Atlanta, Her work continues in the area of land and food organizing. Welcome to the show, Asha. How are you? Thanks, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I'm so good today. It's awesome to be here with you. Wonderful. So I just learned a few moments ago, right, that this is Asha's first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I probably just made her even more nervous. And it probably didn't help that I was stumbling over my words, but it's a Wednesday and I'm here. We're in full effect. And this is going to be A-OK because you got this. All right. (laughs) So um, I, Asha, I met you for the first time. Was it last year or this year? Goodness, maybe late last, maybe it was no, this I year. No, I think it was this year. Wow. That it's is been crazy. A year. We've been through a lot this year. We have. Needless to say, I am so glad that we crossed paths. And um, I have been, I've been following you for quite some time because I stalk everybody who's doing great work. Let's, let me just be very clear about who I stalk and why I stalk them, right? <laughs> and just always a joy to meet someone who is, you know, fighting for our food justice and, you know, um, building and strategizing. And she's a very smart girl. Like, go find her on LinkedIn and just read through her vitae. I don't even got to go through it, okay? Like, she's she's a smart girl. You, you should probably be leading these conversations today, okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. So, Asha, um, congrats, actually, for for because you are new to the – um, National Black Food and Justice yes. Alliance yeah, as the deputy director. So mm-hmm. congrats on that. Thank you. So you have a lot on your plate, yes. literally. <laughs> yes. Literally. Yes, in every sense. In every sense. And so, you know, 
the 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 center of our conversations are you know is going to be around is going to be centered on black food justice right and everyone deserves food justice let me just put that out there before the context of these conversations you know um definitely you know want to talk about the fight for food justice for marginalized communities black and brown folks um and beyond you know it's food it's land it's Mm -hmm. it's it's equity it's everything um and agriculture and food is connected to all of those things so at the top of the conversation asha define for um the audience what black food justice means to you yes so I think first and foremost, it's important to um, honor that there's a really long tradition of people who have done this work, absolutely, um, who have done the work to um, organize folks, to take care of us, to feed ourselves, um, and to make it so that we are determining um, for our own lives. And so um, I'm really thankful for that tradition, for being able to learn from folks and to be able to be part of the National Black Food and Justice Alliance now and um, be able to be learning from so many um, elders um, and peers and young people who just have so much wisdom, right? Um, And so for me, when I think about black food justice, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is Mm. self-determination. And so it's really about... um, individuals being able to choose what we need, but also about um, collectives being able to determine what we need and to be able to um, have control over our own um, decisions that are gonna affect our lives. um, And also over our own, um, the things that make it so that we can live, right? Um, Food, housing, um, these these necessities that are really um, inextricable from one another. Um, And so when I think about Um, food justice um, and black food justice, it's also really important to understand that that's inextricable from conversations about land um, and about um, land use, um, land distribution, land theft in this country, um, genocide in this country, um, and and what the legacy of that has done to um, the ways that people are able to access um, not only land, um, but the things that come from it, which include not only food, but um, just a level of being able to govern oneself um, and also being able to provide safety um, and rest and um, respite. Um, there's a long history of, of and movement. And to take care of your family. Yes, and to take care of your family, right? To take care of your family and, and understand that your family is um, not only like your nuclear family, but also your grandmama and them, and then also your cousins and them. And, all and the neighbors. And your cousins. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's about this like extended network of us and really... Um, the whole tree. The whole tree. And, and it's about really understanding us as an ecosystem of interdependent um, mm. beings, right? Like we need each other. Um, and so how do we um, recognize the way that... Um, the current structures have taken us out of um, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the land, and right relationship with ourselves, um, and be thinking about how do we how do we work to get back in the right way with that. Um, and so it involves really questioning the structures that exist right now and working to shift them um, and to build um, while we work to shift the existing enormous structure, enormous, also, enormous, Place right, the human enor- yeah. <laughs> um, structure, right. And so while we have folks who are um, super dope organizing to to work. To to shift that system, um, we also have to be working to build our own, um, to, to fortify um, folks who are currently on the land, to fortify those land bases, to um, provide space for people's rest and healing and political education and, um, and growing food and health and, and care for ourselves, um, which we also um, are so alienated from by this super extractive um, 
hypercapitalist patriarchal system. And so um, mm. it's, it's for me, like, if, if we have food justice, it's the rectification of those things. It's the restoration. Um, it's us living in right and whole um, relationship with each other and with the land. Um, and, you know, that includes not extracting from each other and from the land. Absolutely. You said a very powerful word. You said a lot of powerful words. Some of them I couldn't even keep up with. Okay, girl, I heard you. Uh, (laughs) But restoration, you know, Mm -hmm. when we talk about food justice, restorative. Yeah. Like, that is, that, that's holistic. Mm -hmm. That's whole. Yeah. You know, and you talk about an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the ecosystem that's beneath our feet but the ecosystem that surrounds us that encompasses, like you said, our aunts, our cousins, the family. Yeah. We are part of the environment. We are our own environment. We have to be healthy with as well. We it's are all connected. the earth. We are yes, all connected. Absolutely. Oh absolutely. Wow. So Asha, you grew up in a very activism forward household from what I, from what I read. <laughs> and so, um, I just mentioned to you before the show, uh, I was talking to the lovely Crystal Mack last week. Uh, Yes, snap, snap, snap. (laughs) Baltimore-based artist. Amazing. Look her up. Google her. You'll find her. And, you know, we were talking about the word activism, right? And she said it's a word that she doesn't necessarily like to identify as or she doesn't use only because, like, when you think of activism, you think of, like, you know, uh, on the front line and you're pumping your fist and, you know, picketing and, and... but in, and I, I totally get it, you yeah, know, because I ain't out there. Yeah, <laughs> I've been at a couple of the marches, but, you know, I ain't out there all the time, you know. Um, but activism is just an innate thing, you know, especially for black people and people of color, uh, because there's always been this internal fight for something. And so growing up in the household and you're from Atlanta mm-hmm. and, you know, being in a household that was very activism forward, what was that like? Because I'm sure it instilled so many principles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So first and foremost, I would say that like we all do our um, activism, our engagement in a number of ways. And like, sis, this is this is movement work, <laughs> right? Like this is um, connecting That's people with each other. That's a t-shirt. Yes. This is movement work. Somebody probably already has it out there. Right, actually. right. This is movement work. Um, just to point to um, the kinds of connections that we need with each other to be able to do the kind of, of building that folks are talking about um, and the exposure to each other's ideas and sharpening one another. Like this is like this is some of that. It's like having salons and spaces for people to, right. to interrogate things together. Right. So that's Right. Super dope, really important part of the political um, and organizing process. Um, you know, it's funny, like, I, I also don't generally identify as an activist, partially because I was coming out of the Black Youth Project 100, where people were like, you know, we are um, organizers, right? Because we're talking about, like, strategy and thinking about, like, the big picture and power relations and blah, blah, blah. But I think, um, I think that it's, you know, I didn't think so much about my childhood as being, like, activist forward growing up. And so it's funny, like, looking at it, Um, in hindsight and being like, okay, so, you know, my mom and dad, um, you know, I knew very early, they were like, oh yeah, we went to a march in Stone Mountain where the Klan does their thing and got glass bottles thrown at us by the Klan. And that's just like Mm. a thing that happened. Um, And, you know, we, my my parents were always really intentional about um, sharing with me um, their own history and things that they knew, um, and also just opening space for me to ask questions um, and to have the um, the depth and breadth of conversations. That's important. It really is. Like I think that my parents did so much less um, really putting into me a specific political um, ideology than they did like really 
allowing me space to explore um, and to interrogate and not to make, treat a question like a bad question. Um, but they also were very intentional about my um, racial identity development and about my understanding of my history. Um, and my grandmother is also a super integral part of that for me. Um, so my and by the way, sorry, yeah. I just want to pause. From mm-hmm. I was reading an article a few days ago. Your grandmother worked with the Black Panthers. Yeah, so correct? she yeah, so she um, helped with um, some work that the Panthers were doing on the West Coast. My grandmother was in um, Portland um, and in Washington and in okay. Cali, so West Coast, West Coast all um, the way, West Coast, baby. West Coast. Yeah, um, I'm from the South, and my mama's family's from um, West Coast for the last couple generations. Um, so I have a lot of folks over there. Cool. Um, but so. You know, my grandmother um, was always really intentional about telling me, showing me in so many ways that the history that I was going to get in school were going to be lies. Um, I was very clear um, by the time that I reached fourth grade um, and had a teacher tell me, uh, my fourth grade teacher um, told me, told our our class that um, the way that the slave trade happened was that the Europeans went over to Africa and saw the people there didn't have like housing or jobs. And so we're like, we can give you housing and jobs in the new world. And they were like, great, let's do that. I wish I my head turn. (laughs) (laughs) It was so wild. Um... And, but, but by the time, and, you know, but I was able, by the time I was eight in that classroom to raise my hand and say, you know, actually, Hold up. Um, people brought over in chains, actually, and wow. manacles and, and packed one atop another and, and dying and over the seat. Like, this is not, like, no, like that's not true. Um, and having those experiences at seven, eight years old, like, um, because my parents had uh, this book my parents, my grandmother had this book on the coffee table called Lest We Forget. Um, I recommend people um, get Lest it. Lest We Forget. Lest We Forget. I'm trying to figure out how to talk with your children about the slave trade. Um, it's really intense, um, but it also is a book that for me, um, it was on my coffee table growing up, and it has um, it has uh, t- tactile elements, textual elements in the book. So you can Very touch cool. like, oh, like these are like raised manacles, or this is what a piece of a whip feels like. And I... As a child, for me, this, um, of course, that is, like, extremely traumatizing and, like, it's terrible. Absolutely. Um, and also understanding that so early um, and also having parents and a grandmother who were really intentional about being like, okay, yeah, this is your history. This is what you come out of. And um, you are um, responsible to these people, uh, this, this broader group of us. You never walk into a room by yourself. You bring us with you. Mm. Um, and you you know, I think that there's a lot of generations with you. Yes, generations of ancestors. Um, And so there were so many stories going up up about, yeah, like what my great grandmother was like, you know, they, they were in Arkansas and there's a problem with a white man and they went all the way to Portland. Like there's, there's like so much history of movement and struggle and building and creation. Um, My paternal grandfather um, didn't get the sort of promotions in the firefighters um, space as he would have because he was like Big Al and was going to speak up about the black firefighters and what they were dealing with um, and wasn't going to be quiet and wasn't going to sit down even if that would have been better for him on his own it was about us um, and so that was always really um, deeply um, infused in my um, life my parents like took out like they I know now as an adult that they took out loans so I could be in um, Imhotep Academy this like private black 
Wow. Uh, like Afrocentric schools, like Kente clothing uniform when I was uh, like four and five. Okay, fight the power. power yeah, they were like, five. Okay. they were like, you you need the affirmation of um, how great you are because this world is going to try to break you down, mm-hmm. um, and and so you mm-hmm. need to have that grounding really early. And so I think um, their intentionality about building me up in that way in my history, <clears throat> and in the connection then to the legacy that I'm a part of, um, was super foundational for me, um, both in understanding. Um, my the sort of work that I want to be doing in this world and that I feel mission to do, um, but also in terms of understanding just like really myself, um, myself and like what I personally feel connected to um, and feel like my grandmother and great grandmother like want for me in this world. Oh my gosh! And they are reaching out to you, honey. <sighs> and the ancestors are reaching out to you. I've been touching feeling you. them. <laughs> They are touching you. So for those who are just tuning in, this is Melissa L. Jones here with the Edible Activist Podcast, um, broadcasting live from the lobby of the line DC here on Full Service Radio. And I am joined in studio today with the wonderful and beautiful Asha Carter, um, who is a social justice educator, a community organizer, environmental justice advocate. And she recently joined the National Black Food and Justice Alliance as the deputy, deputy director um, we, I actually um, had her just define what black food justice and food justice means to her. She grew up in a very activism forward household um, and just really at a, at a very young age, as early as four or five, being able to identify with self because of her parents and with the principles that they instilled in her to know her heritage, to know where we came from as black people. Um, And actually just going back to the classroom where a teacher was really trying to tell you in the history of slavery, and at eight years old, you're holding your hand up saying, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't it. To talk about being met with like extraction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and and me coming up, I, I don't... I would have just been sitting in the class like, you know, because that my parents didn't instill that into me. And I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing because, you know, it's just what it was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, speaking of, you know, extraction and, and knowing our history and utilizing language, you know, to tell our story, um, and being in the space that you're in and, and you're meeting you know, with elders who have, you know, lived this history, lived these stories, um, and you see it for what it is. And then we have the outer world or this capitalistic world calling it something different, really just speak to the importance of the language that we should be using to tell our story and and to share our history and opposing the extraction Mm -hmm. that has been... (laughs) present since forever you know um because we do and you know what asha we we have a responsibility and i don't know at what point the light bulb clicks you know for us as adults but we have a responsibility to be able to connect with with ourselves and know our identity and know where we come from so that we can oppose these things because if we don't it'll just happen And that is that is that is an individual responsibility because we can't change anything if we don't hold to that responsibility. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with being um, being open to the truth of what we experience. Wow. Yeah. Um, being open to the truth of what we experience and then finding the kind of support where you feel like um, like you can do that sort of like living and speaking in that truth. Um, 
I think a lot of the work that I have done for the last few years prior to me joining the Alliance was really to try to support people who um, are living at these intersections, um, dealing with issues with housing and food, and they're always, you know, super combined. Um, and always. who, yeah. um, black people who are resilient and have been working and building and moving um, for such a very long time. Um, and to um, listen to those folks who are like, yeah, like I'm trying to build my community and build our own resilience um, and to help support people with the sort of tools um, to be able to do that. Um, I think that it's really important that like the resilience um, and our connection to um, you're talking like non-extractive language like so when I think about um, extractive language some, some of the things I think about is like food desert right yeah, yeah. so the, the framing of um, a food desert First of all, like that language did not come from anybody who actually lives in one of the places right. designated as a food desert. <laughs> right. um, and if you ask people who live in these areas, it's like I don't live in a desert mm -hmm. um, and I do have food. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's like this this like um, gap in understanding um, because there's a gap in who created that language and who identified the problem in the scholarship. Getting to the right? root like, of, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, Karen Washington um, talks about food apartheid. Yes. Um, and that's what a lot of us have been um uh, using to to understand really the the structural system that we're in that makes it so that food access looks like it does, um, and the people's access to food and um, difficulties with accessing food, um, it's deeper than a grocery store and it's overlaid with you know thinking about like urban areas right like issues with food are overlaid with like not surprisingly like diet related chronic illnesses but also like disinvestment in um, in the infrastructure for safety for housing Absolutely. for schools. Um, you know, if you look at the maps of Chicago, like the school shutdowns, like lay over the like quote unquote food deserts, like almost exactly like there. These are interlocking systems that people are in. And so um, in working with folks around these issues and, and understanding like the the base of them, um, I think it's I think it's important for us to speak to the complexity and fullness of our stories. Um, and the the richness um, that already exists, um, mm. and to not be afraid to um, not be afraid, I think to just like share that fullness um, where you feel like it's honored, right? And I think it's important to think about what spaces like are going to honor you and not honor you, right? Um, but yeah, I think that the more that we can be authentic with ourselves and one another and with what we're experiencing, just like the closer we'll get. It's easy to get lost in like policy of and course. like. Um, lost in like language or you know concepts mm -hmm. um, but if we can just be talking to and building authentic relationships with each other and talking about what we and our folks have been through mm -hmm. um, we're going to be able to get a lot further and so I think creating space for that kind of authentic sharing um, is really necessary absolutely and I, as I mentioned to you before and I tell I'm very transparent about this I'm still learning I'm learning every day totally same I'm, I'm a, I read a lot a ton you know, because I have a responsibility to um, stay educated, especially mm -hmm. I'm in here interviewing, you know, wonderful people, um, not just to learn about your work, but just to learn about the issues that have um, longstanding issues, yeah. historical issues. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to know, you know, the language, what are we using? And that that does take me, you know, um, reading certain articles or going to certain collectives, you know, and just really defining what what is happening in present time? What is that now? Um, so again, huge learning space for me. When I walk and when I came into this entire space, 
I'm not going to say I was naive. I just didn't. It was the gap in, in you yeah. know, the, the gap in, in understanding that I was just like, oh, okay, this is a desert. That's a desert. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. And especially, you know, when you look at communities, rich communities who may not have a grocery store around the corner from them, it's not that it's an access issue. It's just ain't close. You know, they have the money. <laughs> but, you know, really looking at from a structural um, point of view and just seeing, you know, the huge wealth gap mm-hmm. and how, you know, their institutions built on racism mm-hmm. and systemic racism, yep. calling it what it is. And so that has been a learning journey for me mm-hmm. and just really looking at these systems, breaking down these systems and saying, oh my goodness, land which is the foundation of everything, even when in itself is just a whole nother avenue just to break down and explore the issues with land loss and theft Mm -hmm. and really understanding, you know, um, the historical context of um, class and and wealth. It's all related. So, Mm -hmm. again, for me, it's been this just this huge learning curve, a journey that I'm so excited to explore um and again it is my responsibility to to really you know read up on these things and be a part of these conversations and sometimes just sit back in the corner and just listen yeah i think i think so much of it is us being able to um be in spaces to each other with each other to just talk and share Mm -hmm. um and also to respect that all of us like each of us is an expert in something and we're all the expert of our own experience because let's be clear i'm staying in my lane guys okay (laughs) i'm not veering on over into other lanes i'm staying in my lane let me tell you we had a meeting meeting this weekend um, in North Carolina um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful meeting Um, and you know what we needed? We needed event planning support, okay? Like, And that's what we had, like that was necessary to make that space beautiful and like we need people who um, are in finance and in law and doing database spreadsheet Mm -hmm. entry and doing, um, organizing out with people, throwing parties to bring people together, like. Those are skill sets. All of those, we Mm -hmm. need all of it um, because it's the richness of that, of that, the breadth of that ecosystem, the diversity of that ecosystem, right. um, that is that is going to make us thrive. Right. Um, it's that, like we just need it all. Absolutely. And just to go back to you know the when we talk about food access mm-hmm. and we talk about um, food apartheid, I actually, I mean, just even remember you, and you actually might have, might have even been a catalyst for me to really looking into these systems because I'm sure this is these are your words from you again with all we have to give honor to our ancestors and those who came before us who have really been in this fight for a long time but you can't talk about food access without talking about poverty and wealth gap you cannot have those conversations because if you don't it's an issue that just keeps circling around and nothing gets fixed. Yeah, you're just missing you're you're missing it. <laughs> you, you're you throwing really a can't. dart and you are you are you ain't even landing on the, you yes. you're throwing it at somebody else. You cannot talk yeah. about those issues. If you're talking about food 
access and are not talking about food justice, you're probably already like missing it a little bit. If yeah. You're not, if you're talking about food access and you don't have a strong class analysis and a strong race analysis, you're certainly missing it. Like, mm. certainly. Um, because those are the forces that have made our food system what it is, that have made our economic system what it is, right? right. Like these are all, um, th- these histories all were lived together um, and cemented together. And so um, I think the more that we can, I- I'm, you know, I've been in, in my new role now for um, almost four months, um, <laughs> almost four months. And I am just odd at how much I am always learning. Wow. Um, yeah. There's just so much, and there's so much history of our resilience and building new structures and building um, ways to work together cooperatively and yes. save together cooperatively mm-hmm. and own businesses together and, um, and and build home and safety for one another. And so um, I am just so enthused by um, and awed by and like honored and humbled by like that history and the and the honor to be in it together right yeah. now. Like, yeah. we are in that history together right now. We are. We are, girlfriend. All right, guys, we're going to take a really quick break and we will be right back. You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artists Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is Melissa L. Jones here with the Edible Activist Podcast, and I'm your wonderful host today yes. and every Wednesday. Yes, <laughs> and broadcasting live from the lobby of the line DC here on Full Service Radio. And I have been chatting here with the lovely Asha Carter. Asha, thank you for being here. Thank you You for having me. You are wonderful. I'm so glad to have you in this space. Um, For those who are just tuning in for the second half of the show, Asha is a social justice educator, community organizer, and environmental justice advocate. She is also the new deputy director with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance based in Atlanta. And so um, we're just going to touch briefly about your role with with um, the um, Justice Alliance, and we talked about it just a bit. Mm-hmm. She's only been in that role for four months, y'all. Okay, <laughs> she got a lot on her plate. She yeah. just she actually just got back. She was traveling, so yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot more to come in 2020. Yes. A lot more to come in 2020. Indeed. So um, you know, just talking all things food justice and and access, um, land. Um, Asha, how would you define your relationship? Mm. with the land or to the land. Yeah. So I am, 
I'm a tree hugger, um, <gasps> to be tree. honest. Like, tree. I was um, a little kid who would just like look up at the trees and like ask other people like if they noticed how magnificent the trees were. Like oh my they're gosh. just, I was just like, there are these hundred year old things just beside us, hundreds of years just here growing, nurturing other things and we just walk by them. Um, and so I've, I've always been really awed um, by just like the magnificence um, of, of nature um, and had, you know, my grandmother gardened mm-hmm. um, and my mother's also this way, so we like went to parks and stuff. Um, and so I have lived also in cities for my whole life. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never lived more than 30 minutes outside of the metro area mm-hmm. um, or outside of an actual city. I've always lived in the metro area. Yeah. So, um, and so, you know, I've lived in DC for five years now and I am definitely in a place where I'm thinking about, you know, like what do, not only like what do I need, what sort of proximity do I need to the land in terms of my work, but also just like for my, for my heart, for my soul, for the way my chest feels. Like I need to be in the trees more. Yeah, um, I, I need you. to be by water you, more. I feel you. Um, just the kind of um, calm that I can feel when I'm like, by a beach and just remembering how small I am or by, you know, a river. I just, um, I think that so often we don't get, um, get the chance, the space, um, especially in black communities, especially in communities of color across this country, um, don't have access to the kinds of um, just like natural space and places for that kind of um, respite. Um, and it's really necessary for our health. I think, you know, I... Um, I and a lot of other people I know with, you know, struggle with, uh, you know, depression, like yeah, anxiety, that's a right? Real thing. And like, it's real PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff is traumatic as all get out, right? And like, I think about like, what is it that makes me feel good? What is it that makes me feel right mm-hmm. and safe and whole with the world? And it's like, oh, like being where I feel like I'm more supposed to be, which is like in nature. Um, and so I think that there's, there's, and there's lots of study and increasing study being done um, because we need the scientific research. Um, about the benefits of people being um, among trees, of just course. among trees, like even if you're not in like a big nature preserve, but just like among trees. Just be um, able to walk down a street and yes. see a tree, because you'd be amazed mm-hmm. with all this development yeah, going on. I see more they cranes will cut than anything. more cranes than trees. Mm-hmm. And DC is, it got more trees in a lot of places. And so <laughs> no, it's, it's, that's it's wild. It's wild. Go to downtown Silver Spring, guys, in that area over near Whole Foods. I was over there and I was just like, something is missing. Yes. Something is missing. Yeah. And they cut the trees down it's depressing it really is it really is I think thinking about the ways that that's harmful and like harms like this part of our ecosystem which is also like harming ourselves absolutely Um, and I I think that when you are spending more time like I'm just thinking about the growers that I know the homesteaders that I know Mm -hmm. like they just have a much clearer sense of what um what like balance is and what equilibrium is and cycles absolutely and rest just like a much just more grounded it just feels correct mm-hmm. each time that i'm in those spaces i'm just like oh this feels um correct you're also struggling because um hyper corporatization is strangling farmers um across this country and has continued to and is continuing to and black farmers are really um feeling like the enormous brunt of that yeah. um and the kind of wisdom and understanding about what's important slash the kind of like way that people know about like just what is correct. Like yeah. there's just like a, a, a real deep uh, groundedness to it, yeah. if you will. Um, yeah. That's really, um, I'm just excited to get to just learn more from. Asha, 
I'm gonna find a tree today and I'm gonna hug it. Hug it, take some deep breaths, breathe deep. Breathe deep. Go sit with the tree and see what the tree has to teach you. And it I sounds like tree. The tree gonna be like, yo, I'm mm-hmm. like, what up, tree? Tree gonna be like, I ain't seen you in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I just walked down Euclid though. Mm-hmm. I could have hugged a tree when I was walking down the street. But it's like the tree will be like, okay, we're here together. We're we're here together. We're here. What we're are we here. learning and hearing, listening to together? I might not want to leave the tree and I got stuff I mean, to do. that's real. That's real. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, how do we, how do we get ourselves like doing the things that we need to do yeah. and that we want to do and that we're missioned to do? Um, and also doing it without making ourselves sick, <sighs> um, without, without exhausting ourselves. Um, we are our most precious resource. Um, we, the collective, we, we are, our most, body. We, we got one. Okay. You got to take care of it. You get one body, you get one bladder. I tell people you get one. So that's you gotta, it. you gotta, you gotta take care of it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Well, th- do you do you foresee yourself um, living on the land at all? I really big do piece want of land. to. I really do want to. I'm, big you know, dreams. I'm a, I'm big a dreams. big dreams. I'm a, yeah. I'm a city, city girl. I know you where, are. You know, it's where I'm from. <laughs> I like to move around. Yeah. Quick pace. Where to, where to bus at? Where to train? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like I was shook by moving to the suburbs uh, when I was uh-huh. a teenager. I was like, I'm sorry. Like it's, <laughs> there's no bus out here. What am I gonna do? Um, but I, I also know the kind of, um, just the kind of, yeah, peace, peace is the word, but it is just the kind of peace that I can feel. Um, and I think that the, the lessons that we can learn from the land, from being on the land, from observing what nature has to teach us, um, are, those are the kinds of lessons and the kind of posturing that we need, um, to, to build the kind of right relationship with this world that, that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we have to learn from it in order to be able to like create it amongst ourselves. And so, um, and I think that in order to create real like safety um, th- that, that um, helps make some of that peace real, I think that um, having land that you know you can continue to have access to, yeah. um, having land that you know um, you will not be uh, harassed by police on um, having land that you know that you um, are going to be fed and, and held on. Absolutely. Um, and I really, I want that for myself and I want it to be more possible for more people, um, which is why I'm doing this work. And especially for um, black people upon whom uh, this food system was built, mm-hmm. um, you know, the genocide of indigenous peoples and extraction from them and extraction from um, African peoples brought to this land. Um, I, I also like my great grandmother. Um, they were sharecroppers. Yeah. Um, they picked berries, mm-hmm. and I, and even though my grandmother grew up with this very extractive economic system, like watching her parents be part of and needing to pick berries with them, she also taught me to garden and love to garden. Right? Like it's not the relationship with the land. Like that is not the wrong thing. It's this extractive system on top of it. And yeah. so, how do we live into the beauty of like what? what our, I think, more reconciled uh, relationship with the land can be. Like, that feels um, like the kind of work that I want to do and that I want uh, to be able to actualize some in my own life and then to be able to make possible for, um, you know, my children, uh, even when I have them and um, other folks is like, you know, we got babies out here. How do we make it? Yeah, get us free. Get us free. Liberate us. Truly. Tell you, man. And the land will do that. Yeah. Some land will do that. Yeah, got to take care of ourselves. So with, we're going to wrap up in a few moments, but definitely want to um, touch just a bit um, about, touch on your work as the deputy director with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance and um, surrounding your work of land organizing and food organizing. Mm -hmm. 
I want the audience to get just a basic understanding of what a land trust is, Mm because I know you all do a lot of work um, when it comes to land trust, and um, which is a big deal. Um, And just having an understanding of how that works, how how is one created, um, and... You know, I'm sure there's some there are complications that yeah. come along with it. I should just roll her eyes. Oh like, yeah, boy. But just you know, just start off with a basic understanding of what a land trust is and how that operates. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so a couple of of uh, things that a land trust exists to kind of solve for. Mm-hmm. So, um, one thing, um, you know, we have issues with grocery access in D.C. and also with uh, gentrification, displacement. Um, and with housing prices skyrocketing um, and people then not being able to pay to live in this city um, where many people have been for a long time. Um, and so what some of what a land trust um, could make possible in an urban environment is for um, that land to actually be held in trust. Um, so it's held collectively. Um, and so the individuals there are not um, liable for the land. Mm-hmm. They're not responsible for the land. Um, and so if um, in... So, so it makes it more possible um, because of some other like financial levers. That, yeah, uh, we, I know they're layers. There's, yeah, there's <laughs> they're layers. layers. Um, I'm like, I, I can recommend a book. Um, yeah. I, I'm happy to share some titles after this. Um, but really, to help it um, make it so that the people, um, you know, there's so much history of housing discrimination mm-hmm. in this country, um, redlining, gentrification, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, redlining, um, gerrymandering, um, all these things that make it. There's, there's just a lot. And yeah. so a land trust um, makes it so that individuals um, are not, you know, you can yank something out from an individual, but yanking something out of a trust, out of a collective is right. much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Because it's protected. Right, it's and protected. It's protected. And, and you, yeah. you um, are paying your rent to the trust. To the and trust. it's like... Okay, yeah, got it. Um, and so there's... It's not... Um, you're not in jeopardy of losing that land. Like that land mm-hmm. is, is held in mm-hmm. trust. And so the thing too is that... Um, People in a trust do not actually own the land, usually. They own um, the house on the land, improvements on the land, and can pass that down. Um, So it makes it so they're not um, liable for, like, land. So who owns the actual land? The trust. The trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. The trust. Got it. And so it it removes the kind of, you know, a single black family goes bankrupt or, like, loses all their Well, yeah, because you lose the land and everything else just goes. Everything else just goes. I got you. Right? So it's like, how do we solidify? So, so like, um, so in urban areas, that's being interrogated. I know there's some dope work happening in Oakland around that, around Mm -hmm. um, land trust community, land trust, um, and really community-centric, because they're land trusts, um, but it's really important that community land trusts, there are a lot of things also like masquerading as community land trusts, um, but community land trusts are really where the people who are living on that land, working on that land, um, are the people who are um, on the board, like responsible for making decisions about that. They they have deep um, power, and there's usually a community development corporation that is working in partnership with the trust, that the community members who live there are um, are actively like in charge of and moving forward, and so um, they are determining what sort of development, what they want their community to look like, and okay. so and without the kind of um, outs, it takes land off of the speculative market. So it's not something that can then be bought by a developer later to be able to do some high money thing with. It just removes it from that market by putting it into trust. Oh wow! Yeah. So so does that make it more difficult to to start a trust then? It's not easy. It's not easy. And so, um, and there's, 
and and I'm you know I'm not super deep in all the mechanics yeah. of the land trust. Yeah. A lot of what we gotcha. do is like convening um, these land trusts to be able to talk with one yeah. another um, and trying to help um, different land bases that are currently not in trust. Like think about Understood. what it would be like. Um, to be able to ha- be held in trust and like inter- which is really that. cool. That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. And so I think um, there's a lot of um, it's one of the big levers I think that can be used. One of the big mechanisms that can be used to help people um, hold land and be able to stay in place mm-hmm. um, in urban areas, um, but also in rural areas, right? And to okay. be able to hold these larger tracts of land. Um, new communities we talked about briefly yes. before. Mm-hmm. Um, so new communities um, was the first um, land trust community land trust. Um, and it was in Albany, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And we just celebrated the 50th anniversary Woo-hoo! this fall in Albany. It was really beautiful. So exciting. Um, Shirley Sherrod and folks down there. Um, and they, their original vision was to have this, they had this land and to have it in trust and to have um, three villages on it, communities that had schools that had their recreation that had the swimming hole that had the everything that had had what they would need to be able to be you know this is 1969 so it's like to have what they needed to be able to be safe Mm -hmm. um and and sustaining themselves together and the thing is that like um I think it's important for everyone to keep in mind that we globally are in a very precarious place um, and that um, as climate change accelerates, as our extractive economy like runs to its its logical conclusion, like things are, think there's gonna be collapse, there's collapse. Um, yep. And there are supply chains we won't be able to rely on the same way anymore because the environment's not working the same way anymore. The economics are going to follow. And nature is clapping back. back. Um, And so we're going to have to figure out how do we in this in this little region take care of feeding ourselves together? What does that look like? And how do we not reproduce the oppression that exists right now by like putting continue to keep the foot on the neck of black people, Mm -hmm. indigenous folks, migrant workers, Latinx people, like people who are like doing doing this work and being extracted from at the bottom generally Mm -hmm. Um, and poor white folks. Right. Um, And how are we um, building intentionally knowing that like us going to the supermarket in the way that we are right now like that's not going to be the way for the whole time that I'm alive nope. it just isn't it's going to change in my lifetime mm-hmm. so we got we got to prepare for it in a real way yeah. um, so that means investing in our folks um, and in our resilience right now um, so doing things like putting land into trust um, like building the sorts of like um, collective like uh, purchasing like trying to connect people who you know you're a producer here and I have a market here and I can right now support you and make sure that your farm doesn't go under by buying all these watermelons from you and making sure this happens like these so sorts of things and creating our own like systems absolutely absolutely we have to create our (laughs) own systems because these ones that we've relied on for so long they are not going to exist at the end of the century they're not but they never worked for us anyway exactly never for us and they never worked for us (laughs) in the first place um they were always distracting us in the first place and so the opportunity that there is um in in this thing um being as heinous as it is Mm -hmm. um is that we can see that um we have the opportunity to really like see that for what it is um and then use the space to create to create what it is that, that would not be heinous, right? Like yeah. that would that would be the world that we want to see. Um, and and I th- I think there's a lot of um, I'm excited um, about that. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Well, this is the part of the show that I hate. Now it's time <laughs> to say goodbye. No, not goodbye. See you later, girl. See you We're gonna later. see you later. Truly. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. This was an honor. 
and I can learn. I've learned so much from you today, and I I look forward to learning more from you in the future. I look forward to following more of the National Black Food Justice and Alliance um, organization's work. And shout out to Dara Cooper. Yeah, shout out to Dara. I haven't met her, but I'm sending my love. She's awesome. And light you all's way. Um, So this has been amazing. So we're going to do a really quick rapid fire, right? Great. But um, tell folks where to find if they want, if you want them to find you online. If not, that's fine. But websites, like whatever you want to toss out there for folks to follow, you know, the work. Yeah. So um, blackfoodjustice.org. That is the website of the National Black Food and Justice Alliance. Cool. Um, I'm also Asha, Asha, um, A-S-H-A at blackfoodjustice.org if you need to hit me up. All yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, Asha. So real quick, what is your favorite veggie? Oh. <laughs> your face turned to grimace. <laughs> well, because I'm like, I love so many vegetables. It's I very know difficult. it's hard. Um, mm, ooh, spinach. Okay. That's my grandma's favorite. Spinach. I live for some spinach. Garlic. Garlic ooh. and some, some garlic spinach. Just don't talk to anybody the next day or the next <sighs> moment. Because I like some lots garlic of garlic. Together. Same. <laughs> lots of garlic. There's not a such thing as too much. Favorite fruit? Oh, mango. Sweet, spicy, sour, salty. Oh, spicy, salty. <laughs> no one has ever said those two combinations before. Oh, oh. my gosh, you're a first. That's it. Um, last artist you listen to in your playlist? Ooh, I listened to uh, Homecoming this morning. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was, it nice. was great to get me in the zone. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, this definitely ends this episode. Yes. <laughs> Great note, homecoming. All right. Thanks again, Asha. Peace, everyone. Thank you so much. Take care, y'all. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We are here live on Full Service Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m., where you can catch today's episode on fullserviceradio.org, as well as iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to follow me at Food Talks in Color on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Are you an edible activist? Sure you are. Come join me on the show. I would love to feature you. Just shoot me a DM on the gram. Peace and blessings all. And remember, there is no culture without agriculture.